0: All right, what's going on? Welcome to Kenell and Bell on this Friday. Danny Kenell, Raja Bell with you. Raja's in Fort Lauderdale at the studio. I am in New York City, hoping, fingers crossed, that our connection stays strong because it's been a little dicey on Skype and some of the audio sometimes gets messed up. So bear with us. Be patient. Uh, Raj, I feel like dog doo-doo this morning. Uh I took, so last night I got in, reasonable hour, like 8.30 I have a monster day today, started this morning early at 7. I'm going till about 2 a.m. tonight with uh, CBS Sports uh, college football coverage. So I was like, I need to get a really good night's sleep. So I went, got in bed around 9.30, watched the first half of the NFL game, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to take something to help me get a solid eight hours. So I took a NyQuil Z, which is supposed to, it's like the NyQuil without the cough medicine. It's supposed to, you know, it knocks you out. I slept pretty good, but I woke up feeling like I got hit by a dump truck. Like, I just feel like I'm exhausted. So now it, like, totally worked against me, and now I'm kind of upset about it.
1: Yeah, that's tough. I uh, Taking something to fall asleep usually sounds like a great idea until you wake up the next morning and you feel like you're, like, in a fog and you can't get it cracking. You'll be fine, though, dude. This show's going to be so off the rails. It's going to be so excited, Danny. You're going to be fired up and fueled for the rest of the day, bro. I got you.
0: That's right. Well, speaking of off the rails, let's start right there. Are you a Cardi B fan?
1: I'm 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 not not a Cardi B fan
0: I would say that's similar to me like I've heard a lot of her songs when they play them on the radio like I'll listen to them but there's also a part of me that when you listen really closely to some of her lyrics and I'm driving around with my little girls who are under the age of 12 I'm like I don't know if this is appropriate for them (laughs) so I might find myself scrambling a little bit and yet they can sing a lot of their lyrics they already like her But she is dropping a new album. I know who she is. I didn't know she was a PGA Tour fan. I didn't know she was a golf fan. Like, this is news to me. So she's coming out with a new album. And she said she's going to name her new album Tiger Woods, which I think has perking everybody's ears up, saying, what's the connection there? If Tiger, I wonder what his response is going to be when he comes out with it. Her explanation was... Because remember, when everybody was talking bleep on Tiger Woods, like blah, 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 blah. And then he bleeping came in and won that green jacket. That's what I'm going to name my album. So Cardi B's next album will be named Tiger Woods. I'm surprised she knew what the green jacket was. Like, I'm actually pretty impressed.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, golf's got a little uh, broader viewership than I would have guessed. Um, But I think for me, this is like... If there's ever a conversation about who the goat is in golf, um, look no further. They're, they're, they haven't had anybody name an album like Phil Mickelson or Jack Nicholas or 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 I, I don't know anybody else, right? Once you get once you get a rap album named after you, I think goat status is is cemented.
0: Yeah, now she's got to do like I'm thinking of her her album cover. She's got to be like in a green jacket. And probably not much else on. Right. Oh, so for <laughs> right. the album cover. That'd be my guess anyway. And then you wonder if uh, Tiger would make like a guest appearance in the video. All the things, the collaboration that could come out of this would be pretty uh, spectacular. So we'll keep you updated on that. We've been doing a lot of music this week. I actually like it because we had this Shaq versus Dame Lillard beef and their diss tracks. Now we got some Cardi B worked in the show, so I kind of like it. Uh, but we do have to do some sports. Right. That's what we're supposed to do. So Thursday night football was on. I did fall asleep at halftime, but I was up super early because the stupid medicine didn't work anyway. And I actually went and rewatched some of it on NFL Network. And it was maybe one of the best games of the year as far as back and forth. I feel a little bit like patting myself on the back somewhat for saying Russell Wilson should be in the MVP conversation because if anybody gave you any pushback on that and said, whoa, no way, he shouldn't be in there, they should be completely silenced with the performance that Pete Carroll was calling maybe his best game he's ever seen. Russell Wilson was pretty, was pretty special.
1: Yeah. Again, um, you know, it left me feeling like I know what Russell Wilson does. I mean, his prime time numbers are ridiculous. Uh, you know, I alluded to yesterday, like you ch- you just give him a mixed bag of whoever as his weapons and he gets it done. There are other guys that do that, but they're in a special era of quarterback guys that just elevate everyone around them. I was left wondering and maybe unfairly, like, to to his supporting cast, what they could do if they actually had some like bona fide top tier offensive weapons. You know what I mean? Like if they ever gave him Something like uh, you know, as a as a number one deep threat type of receiver. And I know DK, friend of the show, might you know evolve into that. I guess those are the hopes. But like, if you had ever over the course of his career really gave him that supporting cast, and I know kind of contractually taking more money lessens your ability to go out there and shop. But that's kind of the feeling I had. And he's Danny. He's remarkable, man. He just you know he's he's always poised he's always under control he never looks like he's rattled you know he makes big plays he scrambles he protects himself when he does scramble like he's just got it all rolled into one and he's always up to the challenge like that i always look for a guy that on the big stage when it matters do they show up and are are they the reason that their team is in a game and usually the answer when he's involved is yes
0: so sort of there were some three throws that really stood out to me um, the DK Metcalf touchdown was just perfect. I mean, that was, and that was a lot of that was DK. That was play design. He was wide open and good, good for DK. Like we had him on the show and it was one of the tougher stories of the draft is he was, uh, in Nashville was there to be there in the first round. He kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And it was uncomfortable. Like, man, we really like this kid, but he didn't get the opportunity that he thought he was going to get being a top 20 pick said drop down. So I was really happy for him. He's a little bit of a straight line runner. But if you can just pop the top of a defense, then good for you. And they'll still be able to utilize him. The Tyler Lockett throw was obscene, uh, uh, just obscene, as was the catch itself. To have that type of field awareness, where you are, to make the grab, and know that you have to get your toes inbound with just about three or four inches left to work with after Russ had been scrambling to his left and floating that perfectly, the only position that uh, Lockett can make that catch. I, is it maybe the play of the year so far? I think it is. And it might stand as the play of the year from just a sheer how hard this play was to be made.
1: I mean, that—that that is a sick, insane throw. And I would have no real um, way to relate to that throw, just having not played football, um, except I have a son that plays, um, and I watch him try to make throws rolling to his left um, and throwing it, you know, with the momentum taking you that way. That, he had a defender in his face. If you were watching that live, I was watching it live. The only thing that you could imagine he was doing with that ball at that point where he was in the play was throw it away. And I, and I just knew he was throwing the ball away. Like get it out of the back of the end zone, line it back up, take another shot at it. Um, and he drops it right in there for Tyler Lockett, who made an amazing, amazing catch. The other throw that I think was sick, Danny, and I was, when I was watching the game live is he had a ball, to his tight end, uh, Will Disley. Um, Yes. I don't know who that linebacker was, but that's one of those where you're like, I couldn't play that any better. And he just dropped it. He dropped it literally on his face mask.
0: That's what great quarterbacks do. There's two aspects to this, I think. One, they see – so the linebacker was in trail coverage, so he was draped all over him. But as a quarterback, you know he's not looking for the ball. So if you can place it very specifically – you know, the guy's basically has to get lucky to to put up his arms at the right time. So that's the first aspect of that Russell Wilson saying, you know what, I can make this throw. He's not going to intercept it. But then the pinpoint precision, like it kept him on the run, and it just dropped right over his shoulder pad. It was insane. I'm glad you brought up that throw because I, I forgot about it. And it wasn't a big play, but it was it was just one of those throws that wow you. Yeah. Um, and that's what Russell Wilson brings to the table is able to – just dice you up in any other way. And then the other play I wanted to get to was the game winning play where you talked about his ability to protect himself, but he also there's never ever a panic. When he has, you know, he had to step up first of all because there was these edge rushers coming screaming up the field and they looked like they could almost get him. A lot of quarterbacks I've seen Baker Mayfield do this early in his career They want to escape out the back of the pocket because it's easier. You can run away from them and just kind of loop around. But if you realize, hey, they're going to be pushed up field. If I just step up, I can buy myself. And that's really the eye, the eye of the hurricane, the eye of the storm is once that initial craziness, this wildfire of, you know, of rushers come by you, you can step up and all of a sudden it's nice and calm and you go like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. But then he was kind of moving around still, and it looked like he was going to run. And you saw the blue line on the field, which is the line of scrimmage, which, of course, he can't pass. And he starts pressing that line of scrimmage where defensively it's, uh-oh, like we have to come defend him, which is what happened. And then he knew exactly where he was to just bloop right over the top. for the, Because that play was made because they thought Russell Wilson was going to run. And yet he knew, hey, as soon as they come up at me, I'm just going to drop it. And then he had Carson, who almost dropped it, by the way. But those plays are like why I think Russell Wilson is absolutely right there with Patrick Mahomes in MVP conversation.
1: Yeah. You know, sometimes when you're watching certain people play whatever their uh respective sport is they look like they're playing it kind of in slow motion or at least mentally the game is moving really really slow for them you know that that's kind of reminiscent of like backyard football right like ah, i'm going to fake this run i'm going to hold this ball up and fake it at you you're not going to know what to do you're going to come out of your your zone i'm going to just dump it over you you know he looks like he's playing in like a backyard game while everybody else is kind of, and, and I guess that's what the greats do, right? They make it look that easy. Um, but, you know, again, and, and I'll reference just my son playing that position. Danny, it's a tough thing, uh, and I'm trying to teach him the same thing. Like, dude – Don't take the easy way out and just use your wheels to get outside that defensive end 10 yards back. Step up underneath him, like threaten the line of scrimmage. At that point, like you should get a reaction from that secondary line, like that, your linebackers, right? It should open up. All you gotta do is threaten them with the run. It should open up something over the top, but it's a really, you know, it's an easier thing said than done. And, you know, he's mastered it and the great ones master it. I just, I love watching him play because it looks so easy and so slow. Right, like, And that's a compliment. It looks like it's just moving in slow motion for him.
0: Yeah, it really is. Uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, one of the things that bothered me from the game was the hit uh, late in the game. Clay Matthews comes out. And Russell Wilson is scrambling around, throws the ball away. Clay Matthews comes up, gives him a pretty significant shove, and Russell goes to the ground. And then what happens? There's a roughing the passer call, which I think was one of the weakest calls we've seen. If you watch, Clay Matthews, doesn't hit him helmet-to-helmet, doesn't land with his weight on him. And this, to me, is impossible. Like, you're telling – you're basically telling defenders, hey, we're turning this into seven-on-seven. If you're not going to let him at least knock somebody to the ground. That's all he did. He knocked them to the ground. This is supposed to be tackle football. And I know he didn't have the ball, but it was a bang-bang play. I thought this was a complete miss. And I think Clay Matthews has every right to be livid that this possibly cost his team the game because they were – it was a third down. They're probably going to go out. Who knows what happens from there on in. I thought that play was pivotal and I thought it was a massive miss by the ref.
1: Uh, I agree. It was a big miss. Um, what I imagine they saw was that it was hard to tell that it was shoulder because he hit him up high. So it was kind of hard to see that Clay Matthews used his shoulder. Russell's head snapped back. So maybe, you know, the referee thought that was, was head to head, but I agree that it was a miss. I was, I'm just kind of like, what are you supposed to do as a defender? Cause, before that, you know, I think it was, was it third and, was it third and, and long or fourth and long maybe for the Rams and Ziggy Ansah broke through, um and he got a roughing call against Derek Goff, right? And it was like he had been engaged in a block with an O-lineman, kinda started stumbling, got pushed a little bit, and wound up just following through around his knees, right? And so, that's a roughing play because you're too low. So if you can't hit him around the knees because that's too low, and I'm, I'm okay with that, and then you can't hit him up around his chest and his shoulder because that's too high, you're left with like the numbers. like That's the only place where you can hit a quarterback? That's got to be – I mean, that's just terrifying as a defender to know that I could cost my team on a third and long an opportunity to get off the field defensively because I can only hit this guy in this one-and-a-half uh, square foot of target.
0: If- The NFL needs to look at the college game and steal from them because college football does a much better job. I'm not saying they're perfect. There's a lot of bad targeting calls, but they go review it. And if you would have gone and looked at that in slow motion, you could have looked at it and said, you know what? That wasn't helmet to helmet. He clearly led with his shoulder. It was a legal hit, but unfortunately, I don't know if they're going to change that. The other question I would have for you, Raj, is what does this mean for the Rams? I don't think it was a horrific loss for the Rams. I thought they lost to a really good team. I thought Jared Goff did his job, put his team in a position to win. And in the first half, early in the game, I saw some stuff on social media where like, oh, this is why Jared Goff, oh, he's just Blake Bortles and he's not that good. And uh, Todd Gurley doesn't look the same. I think they're probably better than they've been given credit for just because they've lost two games in a row. So like I was down on the Rams after giving up all those points to the Bucks and losing that game. I don't feel that bad about him. I thought Gurley showed some flashes. I thought, yeah, you can still work him in, get him a little bit more of a workload. But I don't think this is a oh, the sky is falling for the Rams. I actually thought they pretty played pretty well with a chance to win. If they make that kick, they win. Uh, uh and was a pretty impressive game.
1: Yeah, they had a, they had a chance to win the game. I mean, I I thought Jared Goff played played great. Um, he struggled early, but I thought he really warmed up and 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 played well. I I do think there's a little bit of concern from from my end, um, defensively. There's a lot of miscommunication, like in that in that secondary. I just saw body language for some of those dudes. Like, um, you know, when when D- DK Metcalf was open, it was a busted coverage. It had to have been a busted coverage. There were only, you know, there were only two routes out there, and DK was over the top, and it looked like uh, what's the corner's name? It's not a uh, Marcus Peters. Look his face when he looked up at the jumbotron just screamed of like. You know, somebody blew this and it wasn't me. So I think there's a little, like there's a little reason for concern from that perspective for me. And then I'm going to go back to like, I know Jared Goff played great and I don't mean to take anything away from him, but it was clear that they came out and they wanted to run Todd Gurley. He had six carries in the first quarter. He only had five in the game against Tampa. He had nine in the first half. And then you effectively shut him down in the second half again. And he only had, I don't know, five more carries over the course of a game. I, I I know that these are two, completely different styles of offense right like Seattle no matter who's back there they're gonna run the ball 25 26 times a game I I um and LA Rams are more wide open but I do think they have to find more balance because while Jared Goff is fully capable of throwing it around at Cooper Cup and those guys Brandon Cook they're they're great um you still have to threaten them with the run game and when you lose the threat of the run it just makes it fractionally more difficult for him to make the plays right and I think you know, yeah, he played great, but at the end of the day, they didn't get it done. And I think it looked like they panicked a little bit and just said, all right, we're going to stop running the ball. Let's put the ball in Jared Goff in the receiving corps' hands. And I don't know that that's a sustainable thing for them. I think they have to find more balance in that offense, Danny.
0: I definitely think they do. Uh And Todd Gurley, still, I would say – With Gurley, you are making an outstanding point. It looked like they wanted to go to him early and often because they all they've been hearing about is didn't give him the ball enough, but then they did get away from it. And when they did, you know, when they did kind of start getting away from their, uh, MO, which is, Hey, you've got to run, work the play action pass and kind of uh, limit Jared Goff's exposure. So I would say that would be the one thing. I still think they'll be fine. The problem is this division is looking like the best, toughest division. In all of the NFL, with the way the 49ers are playing so far, the Seahawks, they just got beat. They could be a 10-win team and possibly miss the playoffs. Uh, so every game matters. And that is one that wouldn't surprise me if the Rams miss the playoffs. Even at 9-7, and 8-8, eight eight, I think they might be done for the season if that uh, ends up happening.
1: Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Danny's got some uh technical difficulties going on in New York right now. Um so in the meantime, we're gonna bring in our resident, like hoop expert, Joey. Joey, welcome. You there? All right. I'm here. Let's let's get this wide lens kind of discussion going about the NBA. Usually we kinda topically pick some stuff to talk about, but since we got dead time, we got time to kill, let's get into it, bro. First on the agenda, uh, Giannis talking about um, his extension and the lack of talks surrounding the extension says it's a little disrespectful to the Bucks. What say you?
2: I mean, I think that, to me, I'd be a little concerned if I was the Bucks. I mean, he seems like the type of guy who's going to stay loyal and he's talked about how much he loves Milwaukee and all that, but I think they got worse. I think losing Malcolm Brogdon, I think losing Miritich, I think they got older. Um, so, I mean, look, if – they were close to being in the championship last year and if they don't make it back i'd be concerned that he doesn't want to talk about it i mean i know he doesn't want to talk about it in the media but i'd be a little concerned that he just won't talk about it at all
1: yeah i think that's that's interesting right like in a day and age where every athlete wants to get it done sooner you know rather than later for him to just be shelving the conversation uh i do think that's interesting uh i tend to agree with you on them getting a little older like uh I've always liked Kyle Korver, but there wasn't a whole lot of tread left on that tire. Um, and I know in theory why you do it because he's another spot shooter. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't really know what's left in the tank there. I think Wesley Matthews helps them. Uh, I, I'd still think I'd rather have Malcolm Brogdon right now because he's just younger, probably a little bit more dynamic. But Wes is tough. He's a competitor. He's been in some you know playoff series he's had to carry the load for teams. He's also good being like you know the second or third option. Um, that helps, but. More importantly, I think we talked about this yesterday, Joe. Those Atlanta teams with Mike Budenholzer, um, they came out and hit you in the mouth, a la Milwaukee last year. Their first year out, you know, they were number one seed in the Eastern Conference, made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, they took the league by storm. And in the next year, you're talking about a difference of like 13, 14 games, um, win total, and they got knocked out in the first round, and his team seemed to... Have the rest of the league catch up to them to some degree in year two? Uh, I think that's a real possibility here for the Bucks. What do you think the Eastern Conference uh, looks like power structure wise uh, at the top of it? Do you have the Bucks? You have the Sixers.
2: Um, do you think any other team hops in that conversation? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of. You know, I think by default everyone's going Bucks, and I and I get it. Um, and also to that to to your Bootenholzer point. We also looked at the roster when we were talking about that, too, and the only player they lost was Demari Carroll. Correct. Um, and this team, I'll, listen, Brogdon may not be a, a, that guy yet, but Brogdon has that guy kind of potential. He's a 50-40-90 guy. I think he's like the prototypical point guard you want in the NBA right now, and the burden falls on Eric Bledsoe to do that every night now, and we saw what happened in the playoffs with that. But, yep, I'm leaning, I got. I guess by default now, I'm leaning Sixers a little bit, and, and especially if, ben simmons can shoot right if ben simmons can shoot that's a championship team to me um that's the difference between them this year as they're constructed because losing jj reddick is going to hurt them more than anybody realizes and it's all about the talk was jimmy butler but when they didn't have jimmy uh jj on the floor last year they struggled offensively because was the only one who can shoot um i love the pacers if 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 old depot is healthy I just love what they did. They got younger. They got more athletic. And I think again, him and Brogdon in the backcourt is going to be one of the toughest backcourts in the league. But yeah, I got to lean sixers right now just because the East is not good.
1: Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the sixers and I, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I picked the sixers to come out of the East. I just. I do think there's going to be a little bit of regression with that that Milwaukee team. I'm not as high on the Pacers as you are, brother. Um something about the youth, like I I get it. I think they've been overachieving like the job that they've done there in Indiana. I'll take nothing away from it, but I don't know if that's high level like winning type of thing. They'll be in the conversation, but at the end of the day, you got to have that star power. I don't know that they have it. Um so here's here's the problem with the Sixers if there if there could be one. You've got Joel Embiid coming back. Um this is what he said about The playoff loss last year. I just remember thinking I let my team down. All I was thinking was, what can I do, uh, to make sure I don't let my teammates down again or my team or the whole city? Basically, that was the, that was to take better care of my body, to work on the stuff I never really paid attention to. Uh, and it's been going well for the whole summer. So MB's lost 20 pounds. He says he wants to lose five more. And he also said on a podcast that he's done trash talking. I I love all of that. All of that is in line with a guy who's starting to like streamline his focus. There's a level of maturity. He understands what's important. It's championships. They've got a small window of opportunity to get that done. Um, and he seems to have more of a laser, laser focus. I, I also think, you know, Ben Simmons, uh, getting that jump shot together and trying to take strides as, 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 uh, you know, as, as an ever evolving pro, uh, lend themselves to that window of opportunity aligning kind of with, with Joel and Beats. The problem though, Joe, is I don't think either one of them is done. Trying to put their stamp on who they are in the NBA. And I talk about this a lot. I think you could have competing agendas to a degree. I, I don't know if it's enough to get them off track as a team, but I think you got two guys who in their estimation and in their, in their camp's estimation could be vying for like, I don't know, top 10 players in the NBA, top five players in the NBA in the next four or five years. Um, and I don't know. Th- those duos are hard to keep together. I mean, historically, Give me a duo like that that's had some longevity. It's been able to stay together. Two guys at the same point in their career, both vying for, like, supremacy at their position in the NBA.
2: Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I also think, I think one thing that definitely comes into the equation of the guys that them trying to put their stamp on it is, uh, LeBron is not going to be around that much longer, although, I mean, he, who knows, he's not really human, so he might be, but, so who's next up for Rich Paul to be that guy in the league? And Ben Simmons is that guy. If he can, if he can become one of these top five players in the league. And I think he's never gonna rest until he's the top player for a team. I don't think Embiid is either. Um, I, I, I don't buy, I just, I know how talented Embiid is, but I don't know if you know this. He is, he hasn't shot 50% from the field yet in his career in a season. Last year, he was 50th. In the NBA and field goal percentage. I don't really know if I can rock with a guy being my top player or even considered a top player who's supposed to be so dominant, who's shooting 48% from the field and he shoots a lot of threes, 30% from three. I think Simmons eventually has to be the guy for them, but I don't know if either of them is yet. And I don't, and I think you're right. I think it could definitely cause them some issues on figuring out who the actual number one, who the star is there.
1: Well, you had uh, you had Tobias Harris come out. Speaking of that, um, it's it Sixers, who their play, player and their go-to player would be uh, in crunch time. Uh, his quote was, obviously, we have a lot of talent on this team, so everybody wants to know who the go-to guy is. But to be honest, it's going to be whoever has it going. That's a problem. There's a red flag there. In, in theory, yes, you'd love to be deep enough to where you say, hey, we got four guys that can all go get it. Let's give you the ball. Um, whoever's hot. It, you, you usually have to have a clear uh, a clear picture of a pecking order um, and whose ball it's going to be. And if that guy doesn't have it going, then you can move on to plan B. But usually, like the Miami Heat, for example, Joe, like when you had Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Chris Bosh, that first year, what did they want to do? Roll it out, whoever had it cooking, how'd that work out for you? It didn't. You could see them stepping on each other's toes all the time. Year two, they came back. Uh, D. Wade had the foresight and, and the ability to say, let me step back, this is going to be LeBron's team. Cleared everything up. LeBron was going to be the first at the water and or, or at the, at the table to eat. And then everybody else ate, you know, after him. Usually that has to be the case. It can't be one of those wide open conversations. And I think that that kind of speaks to, you know, them kind of being this, on the same arc as players at the same point in their careers. That has to be figured out if they're going to beat anybody from the West. They could still get through the East, but to have a chance to beat someone from the West, they'd have to do that, which brings me to the next question for you, Joe. Can they, firing on all cylinders with all of these things figured out, beat a team from the West? The Sixers. The Sixers. Y-
2: yes. Only, and again, the and I, I harp on this a lot, but I think me and you are are in agreement on this. Like It's so much simpler than I think people put into it. If Ben Simmons can shoot, he's a stud, and that's what they need, and he needs to be able to score the ball for them. And like this conversation, score and crunch time for them. He needs to be that guy. And if, like you said, clicking on all cylinders. So to me, clicking on all cylinders is that shot that we see in pickup is working. And even if it's just respectable, third, low thirties even, mm-hmm. uh, from three, yeah, they can. Uh, I don't buy that they, that it will click on all cylinders. I, and we, I've, I asked you this question because I believe it. I don't think there's a team in the East that can win a title this year. Do you agree with that?
1: um yes no I I don't know I don't think that the Bucks are gonna win a title ultimately I do think they're a little bit worse than they were last year I I think it would be when I say this the sixers clicking on all cylinders like that's fantasy world uh I think they're good enough to compete in the finals but ultimately I think most of the smoke is in the Western conference and so I I do think the Western conference winds up uh you know, winning another championship. So I think the Sixers and Bucks could both play with teams from the West, but I do not think that ultimately they'd be able to beat a team from the West in a seven game series um, if that team was healthy and they don't, you know, have injuries like Golden State uh did last year what do do you think the west shakes down like because the west is loaded we talked about some of these teams like we were talking about new orleans the other day danny asked me the question as to whether or not i thought they'd be in the playoff hunt i do you drop that team in the eastern conference i think they're squarely in the mix for a playoff spot i'm talking four or five seed maybe um who do you think though out of that loaded western conference ultimately um because we had this conversation off air uh we talked about the the clippers And while on paper it looks great, I mean there's a lot to be done there, right? You've got a lot of issues. They're not deep. You got to figure out like Paul George and Kawhi. You think you can play together? Can you play together? Um, The Lakers, for various reasons, I'll let you get into them. Um, Who do you think is your, you know, favorite to come out of the West?
2: Yeah, I go. I've been going back and forth on it. I, I, yeah, we talked about it. The Clippers. Look, I last year when Kawhi, when I watched the Raptors play early in the year, I was like, this team can win a title, and they still barely won it. Really, they, it took a lot of injuries for them to win that title. And I, and I think Kawhi is, if he's not the best player in the league, he's two. If he's not two, he's three. I mean, that's it. He's he's in the top three, and that can get you a title. I'm worried about their depth a little bit. Uh, I I don't I don't they they're barely six or seven deep. They're there's a lot of hype around like Montrez Harold who's really good. And, but it's, you know, he's still young. Um, and Lou wills great, but he doesn't defend, uh, Pat Bell's a great defender, but he's not a great, he's not great on offense. Like, and then past those guys, like what Zubats, Shamit, uh, Terrence man, the rookie. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's tough for me. So, you know, I, Yes, they can win. Um, the Lakers, obviously, we talked about that too. Uh, you know, LeBron's teams at full strength tend to hit their stride really as a championship team in the second year. Um, and I know he went to the finals, in the, but that was in the East. Um, I, so I don't know if I think the Lakers are winning a title this year. I'm going Rockets. And I'm actually thinking about putting down a heavy bet on the Rockets to win a title because, look, look, I think people are forgetting that They've been knocked out by the Warriors for the last five years. The last two years, they had the—two the, the, the two years ago, they had the Warriors on the ropes. Last year, they lost again to the Warriors. The Warriors are done. They're not winning a title again. They got younger. They got more athletic. I'm not the biggest Russ guy, and people who know me know I am not a huge Russ guy, but I think if anybody can get the most out of Russ the way he has in the past, it's Mike D'Antoni. So you get rid of an old Chris Paul. You bring in a younger Russ a triple double machine. He's now the second option. You still have Harden. you still have pretty much the rest of that roster that should have been in the finals, maybe two years ago. I think it's the Rockets.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I was one of the people when they made the deal. Um, and I know how you feel about Russ. I, I I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum with Russ. I, I love Russ. I know it hasn't produced a championship yet, but I just love the way he plays the game. I love the way he wears his heart on his sleeve and he goes out there every night, um, and competes like that. Uh, I was one of the people that said that that Rockets thing would work. Now, I didn't know exactly how it would work. I couldn't tell you X and O-wise how Mike was going to get it done. But if anyone could, if anyone could take three months and sit there and look at skill sets and look at personality types um, and figure out how to make them mesh or at least give them the best opportunity to mesh, it is Mike D'Antoni. So it, it will, or he will find a way to put them in positions to maximize what they do. All of them, not just Russ and Westbrook, because, not just Russ and, um, and Harden. Cause you have to remember, like, Eric Gordon, while he can spot shoot, like, he's good as an ISO player too. Like, he can get in his bag and get you some buckets. Like, Mike is gonna carve out little opportunities and a, and a style, uh, that, that, that highlights everybody's ability to get something done. He's as good as there is, or there's ever been in the NBA at doing that. I don't worry about that. I, I do think, though, the favorite for me would be the Lakers. And I agree with you in year two. Most of LeBron's teams hit their stride, um, and, and that's typically when they win. I think some of that has to do with a lack of a sense of urgency, um, when they first get together because they see this window potentially open for a few more years. I think all of that's been, that timeline's been pushed up for LeBron after the injuries last year, um, you know, one year into the contract already. Their window is now. I think there's going to be more of a sense of urgency from LeBron in camp. Which will, you know, in effect, kickstart everyone else's, uh, um, energy there, and they'll get on the same page. And I think at the end of the day, with those two talents, LeBron and AD, if they can get you know, respectable performances from Kyle Kuzmas of the world, you know, and, 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 and whoever else is on that roster, like they, they are the favorite for me to come out of, of the Western Conference this year.
2: Let me, you, let I, me, let me ask you yeah. this, Raj, and then we'll, we'll take a break real quick and see if we, get, see if we get, uh, the uh, the other guy whose name is on the show yeah. back in so I can stop talking so much. Um, so we, we have these three teams. But the West is loaded, right, like everyone's talking about, and, and I agree, I think this is probably one of the biggest gaps there's ever been between the East and the West. You just talked about how you could drop some of these teams in the East and they'd be near favorites in the East. but um, outside of these three teams, is there a team that can come out of the West? Because I still I still have hope for the Warriors, but past that, I don't see I don't buy the jazz the way a lot of people do. I don't think the Nuggets are coming out of the West, even though they're getting better and they're still growing. I mean, uh, the Blazers, I actually think, got substantially worse. And even though a lot of people like their offseason, I think they got worse. Do you see a team outside of those three teams we just talked about that could push to maybe come out of the West?
1: I think both of the teams you just talked about um could push. You you, you saw Denver's game last year. They weren't running away from anything. Um I don't know what Michael Porter Jr. is going to look like. But, if he is healthy and he's not a rookie anymore, like he'll come out and have his rookie season. but this is an effect year two for him. He's had the benefit of strength and conditioning, acclimating to the n b a game, all of that in the Denver practices. I think he could be a real weapon for them. He's part of what was missing out there, which is that you know six, eight, six, nine long athletic scoring type of wing. And it may take him half a season to really, you know, figure out his NBA game. But if he's dropped into what they already do out there uh, and they don't skip a beat in terms of, you know, everyone else just kind of being on the same page and continuing the flow that they had last year. I think Jokic is a star. I think Jamal Murray is a, on the verge of being a star. Like I, I think they could, they could push people. I don't know. Ultimately they'd get out, but they could push people. And I really, really like Utah. Um, you know, I think the Mike Conley pickup in stabilizing that, you know, no shade at Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio is great. He's done a serviceable job out there. Um, but Mike Conley's a different type of player, a different, you know, ste- uh, 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 captain of your ship. Um, I-, I think they've really made some strides out there in Utah. And they were another team that if I were in the Western Conference last year, I would not have wanted to draw them in a playoff matchup. Just because of the style, it's tough to go to Utah and play, you know, it's a, it's, it's a nightmare, and, and I think both of those teams this year could take a step forward. Don't know that ultimately they have enough to get over the hump, but I think they could challenge.
2: Yeah, I love, I love Quinn Snyder as a coach, and I, and I love Mike as a point guard, but, I just can't buy a team that wasn't a title contender getting Mike Conley and now they're a title contender. Uh Mike Conley's not a cha- hasn't been a championship point guard and that's not no knock to him that's not a knock to him and Memphis has been good and they and they've gone deep, but I, I just they didn't change and their other big pickup I think was Boyan Bogdanovich, who's who's a good player, but had a huge usage rate because of the Ola injury last year. Um I, I don't think he's like put pushing them over the hump. They are deep and they're pretty good, but I, I just I don't think I see it. come. Well,
1: come ultimately, ultimately we talk about, you know, I said, it. I don't know, like 10 minutes ago, you got to have stars in the NBA. They, they're, they lack that. Um, they're looking for spider Mitchell to take that, that next step. And you know, we'll see if he does, but that, that's a, essentially what you're saying, right? Is they got a bunch of good players, but they don't have anybody like Rudy Gobert's not a star. Um, and sometimes it boils down to that in play, in playoff runs. Like that's why I think Denver is slightly ahead of them with Jokic and Murray and potentially, uh, uh, Porter. Uh, but the Jazz are one of those teams, dude. Like again, I don't really have to get over the hump. Uh, but they certainly play a style and they'll play tough and they're well coached. Um, and while Michael Connolly has not won a championship, you know, he's been in big playoff battles. He knows how to run a team. He knows how to take care of the pace and, and make sure people are where they need to be. You know, I think they'll be better off with him than they were without him.
0: All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. I'm back, baby. I feel like George Anza when I said I'm back. I know you love just going solo. You and Joey just tossing around some NBA topics. See, it's not easy doing this job. See, you got yeah. to kind of a little taste of what it's like being in my shoes. You got to drive the show.
1: I would I listen. I am a I am a backseat, like put my feet up and read the paper and let somebody else drive kind of guy. It's your world, sir. Welcome back.
0: Let's keep it rolling then. Uh, Stephon Diggs, there might be trouble brewing in Minnesota around my boy Kirk Cousins. I don't think it's all Kirk Cousins' fault. I think most of the frustration isn't, hey, our quarterback's no good. I think it's our offensive game plan is not effective. It feels like you're running what they were doing 10 and 15 years ago, and you're starting to hear players speak out. Adam Thielen didn't love it the other day, and now you're seeing more significant problems develop with Stephon Diggs who after practice he missed practice and there's been some speculation about his future with the team. I don't think he dispelled anything. Listen to what he said, which I think just threw gasoline on the fire.
1: Is uh, along with rumors and all that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like there's truth to all rumors. You know, I mean, no matter how you dress it up, um, I won't be saying nothing on it. I won't be speaking on it at all. Uh, but. There's truth to all rumors, I guess.
0: All right. So I, the initial headline I saw, I thought it said "There's no truth to the rumors" because usually that's the cliche used to kind of get the media off your back. And he said the exact opposite. He said, "Yeah, there's truth to the rumors." But I also want you to notice his hoodie there. I'm telling you, hoodie company. There are different ways to wear a hoodie. As Stephon Diggs,
1: <laughs> do. um, listen. Anytime you get your athlete up at the podium wearing a hoodie like that, um. I'd be, I'd be a little, if I was the, uh, the press, the, whoever handles the press for, for Minnesota, I'd be a little worried about what was going to come out of his mouth next. Like, I don't know if that's a fair, um, uh, you know, assessment of that situation, but anybody going up to the podium with the hoodie all the way over him, barely over their, their, like, covering their mouth, I'd be really concerned with what he was about to say. Um, look, I, I, I know it's not all Kirk Cousins' fault and, and, ingest like I kind of take some shots at him sometimes. I don't think it's fair to him to roll this up as Kirk Cousins issue. I I do think there is something to be said for the reason why they're playing or calling the plays the way they're calling them. I don't think it's just that they've reverted to like strategy from 7 years ago. I think they kind of have done it because maybe they've lost a little faith in the position, the quarterback position. And I think that is fair. I don't think it's fair that it's all his fault, but I think maybe they're calling plays and trying to run that offense um, to protect uh, a a weakness that they perceive they may have as a staff.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think when you look at – I think it's a combination of both. I mean, they have Dalvin Cook, who's probably – I mean, nobody gives him enough credit. I think he's one of the top five, maybe even top three running backs in the NFL – and they want to ride him, but eventually, and that's where Adam Thielen was right. He's like, we can't just run the football. We have to be balanced. And so I think they're going to have to do some really self-studying, like self-reporting, um, like do some analytics on what you're doing and look at the success you've had. And they're basically, I would say, you put all this money in Kirk Cousins, you're going to have to ride or die with him. And now find out. Like, and if you, if it gets uglier, it gets uglier. But you know, like that's your quarterback. You paid him all this money to throw the football, and not hand it off. And you've got some pretty good, talented receivers. I think you just kind of go out there and right now it could get uglier. But I think you just go with it. Um, news out of New York Giants. Saquon Barkley had this high ankle sprain. He was running around at practice. There was some speculation that he may play. And I was like, whoa, what are you guys doing? This season, I know you're excited about the Daniel Jones era. But thankfully, they made the – um or actually, they haven't. They're still talking about playing him, But I would say – what are you doing here? You cannot put Saquon Bar- Barkley out there if it's any doubt. If he's eighty percent, don't risk. Him. It's just still it's his second year in the league. Just don't waste him in a season where I know you're excited, but don't put him out there yet in harm's way.
1: Yeah, this is. I mean, this is not smart on a whole lot of fronts. You're, first of all, there's no where window for you guys to do anything this year. I mean, I know you, you've got these reinvigorated hopes of maybe making the playoffs. Potentially, Daniel Jones looks good. Like I get it, but ultimately. You're not playing for a Super Bowl this year, right? Like That that window isn't open yet. Um, Saquon Barkley is not dealing with a, a, a fracture where you come back and it can be healed. The, the, that high ankle sprain can become a lingering uh, issue that sets off a kinetic chain that hurts something else. Do not mess around with this young star of a player in a year that means relatively nothing to you. Like, see what you got at Daniel Jones. See if they can play great. Always there on the side of caution with him, especially in a year where you're not trying to win anything.
0: He did say he went to Wakanda for some rehab. Maybe he's got that magic. I don't know. Cut him down. Get him healthy. That's a wrap for us on Canelo and Bell. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games, man. We'll see you. Later, bro.